turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. It comes to us from Colossians chapter 3 as we continue this, this series through this letter of Paul. We'll be picking up this morning in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I invite you, let us listen and give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have a confession to make to you this morning. That usually gets people's attention. I made a big mistake this week. I turned on the news in my car. Um, normally, that's not a temptation for me, but uh, one of the days this week, I was, uh, I was without Ollie. I wasn't taking him to school, and so I thought I would support our friend Rick Shaw, and I'd listen to some news. And holy cow, by the time I maneuvered Clay's Mill Road and listened to all that was wrong in the world, I was feeling pretty yucky. Uh, One of the interviewers shared uh, was an author from the New York Times, and he was sharing an article describing a current challenge to our judicial branch in this country. The author noted that there is this increased engagement between the legislative branch and our judicial branch. Basically, what he was saying is that rather than compromise and choose to collaborate, it's becoming commonplace to just sue or subpoena your group's way forward. The legislature isn't alone. The executive branches are also spending more time in the courts for their solution. And the author stated that it wasn't just a federal issue, but it's states as well who are also having these increased lawsuits and counter lawsuits. And his conclusion is that our judicial branch, something that is already overworked, is getting hammered with even more work. And that work, it's expensive work, it's time-consuming work, it's really noisy work. Rather than pursue paths of working together, uh, it's devolved into various sides yelling, name-calling, wanting to be right, rather than find ways to work together. Now, I'm no civics instructor. That's something we can all be thankful for. I am also not a politician or a lawyer. I don't play in politics. And you'll never hear me as your pastor be political, at least not in the current definition of that word. All that being said, as I finished uh, this, this interview and I read the article later on, I could only think one thing. 
what is the deal? Am I, am I alone or is anyone else tired of the negativity and the backbiting that just seems to be everywhere? Anybody? Show of hands. It's not just elected officials, is it? The nonsense is everywhere. Stubborn, dig in, I'm right, at any cost, behavior is, is practically a norm. And I, I'm super tired by it all. Like to the nth degree, just worn out and exhausted. So do you know what I needed on Wednesday? very simple. I needed some hope. So I, I, I got here and I stood at the door of our school, Shep, and I held the door open and I said good morning to as many folks as possible. And it was awesome and it filled me with incredible joy. It gave me a new outlook as I looked at these tired little faces. They raised my spirits. There was no nonsense. Oh sure, there were some grumpy faces. There was some crying but mostly smiles. I had parents who were thankful, kids who were given high fives, and there was this hope that just was all around. You need a little hope this morning? No, just me? Well, hopefully you do, because we're turning our attention to what I think is one of the, the biggest hope passages in all of Scripture. Uh, this church in Colossae, they had been dealing with, with negative voices. Voices that were wooing these young Christians backwards. Inviting them to take up practices that were, that were fake or they were, they were offers of a false hope. And Paul points them to Jesus and he's agonized over them and he's longing for them to be free. And he takes this message of Jesus and now he gets really practical with the church. And he uses phrases like this. Seek things above. Put to death. Put on a new nature. Did you notice he doesn't say try and do these things? He says do it. Paul begins chapter 3 with this incredible reminder. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. What in the world is Paul saying there? Well, think about the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. Does that mean we're not supposed to be involved in the world? Do we just give up on everything and start practicing with our harps for eternity? I don't think so. It means we approach the world differently. Paul says, you died to this life. Your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul reminds his dearly loved friends, remember he calls them that a couple different times, that as Christians, that as followers of Jesus, they died with Jesus. And that means that all the old parts of their lives that were broken and marred and, and they're dead with him. You died when you came to Jesus. You have a new life, a new life that's hidden in Christ. And that, that new Jesus life is being revealed or it's being lived out to the whole world through you. Through you. 
In, in the previous section, Paul talks about the Christians being baptized into Christ. The thought of Paul in the early church was that this act was an initiation into the body of Christ. When we are baptized, when we confirm our faith, we acknowledge that we died. We died with Christ and and are now alive in him. When we remember our baptism, we are impressed afresh with this reality of being in Christ's death and resurrection. And then we draw from that logical and practical conclusions of this new life. I've got a friend every morning. He gets in the shower. He turns it on. As the water hits his face, he says, Keith, remember who you are. Remember you're baptized. Be thankful. We now live, not this old death life, not something connected to to the death of our past, but a new Jesus kind of life. Did you know that? Did you know that's who you are and what you do? So we got to ask, well, what's the old life? What's the, what's the new life? Well, for starters, the old life is a lot of nonsense. It's what we see everywhere. It's the stuff we see. And Paul says, put to death what's already dead. He says, strip it off like old rags of clothing. Paul offers two lists early in this chapter. Lists that Christians are to shed, to to put behind us. The first section's connected to sexuality. And I got to tell you, Paul has a real high sexual ethic among the followers of Jesus. He says, kill off sexual immorality. Kill it off. Kill off impurity and lust and evil desires that are let loose and greed or coveting what's not yours, which really only exposes that you're worshiping other gods, that you're an idolater. Okay. Paul then moves to the second list. If the first one didn't get you, what about the second one? Vices, anger, rage. Malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, or abusive talk that contaminates everything around you. He says, strip off the lying. The lying to yourself and the lying to others. These vices are are part of this old life. They're death rags that shouldn't be worn by a water-washed, spirit-filled follower of Jesus. They're ugly grave clothes that have been pulled out of a crypt and put back on because they're comfortable. And and Paul says, that's nonsense. Paul, Paul reminds them of who they are instead. You're God's holy people whom he loves. Not dead, not rotting, but alive and filled with the life of Jesus. And he says, clothe yourselves. Put on something else. Put on Jesus' identity. Tender-hearted mercy. Deep, heartfelt compassion. Kindness. Humility or thinking rightly of yourself. Gentleness or thinking rightly of others. Patience. He says make allowance. Forgive others then it's as if he's putting some final touch on some New York City fashion runway. He says, finally, finish it all off with the clothing of love, which produces perfect harmony, living in peace, and being 
thankful. This is Paul's picture of the church. It's like their job description. Did, did you hear all of that, church? Not if you're awake. Did, does, do you hear how Paul chooses to compare this old life of nonsense with this new Jesus life? There are two big differences in these pictures. The old life. This is what we see all around us. It's what's happening everywhere is a life at its core that's just nothing. It's dead. But it's a life that's very easily taken as the norm. That negativity and backbiting thing, that's in the church too. Preacher, it's just the way things are. Nay, nay. Not according to Paul. Contrast that to the new life. This new life, did you notice how strikingly familiar it is? Do you know why it's so familiar? Because the new life looks just like Jesus. Paul tells the Colossians, copy Jesus in glad, outgoing love, and so to discover in Christ what it means to be truly human. We're imitators of him as we live this new life that we've been given by him. Doesn't that take your breath away? It just takes my breath away. Imitators of Jesus. Beloved, this isn't just feel-good words. This is a new life given by him. Not one we, we muster up on our own even. We can't do it on our own. And God knows this. We're going to need the empowering activity of the Holy Spirit coursing throughout our daily life. We'll need to find regular communion with the Holy Spirit because that filthy rag nonsense, that old life, it's all around us and it's really easy to slip back into it. That stench of death is everywhere. We need a daily connection to the life of Jesus if we're going to make it. And by the way, that daily connection could look different for each and every one of us in this room. You don't have to daily connect with the Father the way I daily connect with the Father, and I don't have to the way you do. That's good news for all of us. The new life requires the Holy Spirit, but it also requires this body that we become a part of at that baptism and new birth. N.T. Wright says this, Christian conduct, or the new life, is the result not simply of the effort to be good, but of incorporation into the body of Christ. God intends Christian behavior to be reinforced and upheld by the friendship, company, teaching, counseling, and loving criticism of other Christians. Loving criticism, by the way. Did you hear that? Not to appreciate this is to lapse into that arrogant independence of one's fellow human beings, or worse, one's fellow Christians, which is a sign not of new life, but of the old. Right, is saying what Paul said to the Colossians, live this new life of Christ you can't go at it alone. Happy or sad, you need me and I need you. 
And we all need the Spirit continually dousing us with the power of Jesus to live, experience, and extend the new life Jesus gave us at the cross. Did you, did, did you know that? As we put on this new life, we get to come to this brilliant realization. Paul says it this way. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator. Don't miss this. And become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, uncivilized, slave or free. And here's the cherry on type. The cherry on type. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us us. Another translation says Christ is all and in all. There are implications for that. These are them. These are the implications. Wherever one looks, one sees Christ. When an elderly person is ignored, Christ is ignored. Where a lively teenager is snubbed, he is snubbed. Where a poor or person of color, or for that matter, a rich or a white one, is treated with contempt, the reproach falls on him. There must therefore be mutual welcome and respect within the people of God. Nobody must allow prejudices from their pre-Christian days to distort the new humanity which God has created in and through the new man. This is the new life. This isn't living that nonsense of death, but living a life of Jesus and seeing Jesus all around. Let me ask this. Does anybody know who Edmund Dantes is? Edmund is the main character of Alexandre Dumas' novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. Dantes was a poor man who was wrongly accused and imprisoned on behalf of a, a greedy, jealous, and unjust people, one of whom was his best friend. Dantes meets an old abbot who's imprisoned with him, who teaches Dantes to read and fight and think critically and break out of prison. <laughs> I love that they gave that job to the preacher. <laughs> Abbot gives to Dantes then a map of, of tremendous treasure that's buried on a nearby island. And Dantes eventually escapes and uncovers a conspiracy that's against him. He secures a lost treasure, and he's suddenly one of the wealthiest men in France. And one scene, his servant comes to check on his master, and he notices that Dantes... Now this Count of Monte Cristo is now sleeping in this luxurious, comfortable bedding... Or at least that's where he assumes he's going to be. And he comes around the corner after all those years suffering in prison. The man, unbelievably wealthy and comfortable, is not sleeping anywhere but on the hard floor with just a small sheet. He's free physically, but his heart is still in prison. He's still angry and jealous, and he can think of nothing but vengeance. And Dantes may have had all of the clothing items of a new life, but he continues to live with these rags. He continues to live as if that old dead life still controls him. Follower of Jesus today and 20 centuries ago. Paul's invitation for us to recalculate still rings in the airs. It still rings in the air this morning. Jesus is supreme. The all in all, the supreme and revealed mystery of God. Jesus is the one who invites an end to this nonsense by giving new life to his followers. 
He clothes us with his very nature and he invites us to live like it. When we enter into the nonsense, when we join the noise and the negativity and the anger and the backbiting and the refusal to work together, insisting only on our own way, we're choosing to put on those old death rags, those rags of an old life. We may have been given the treasure of heaven, but we're sleeping on the floor. We're called and empowered to be the living mystery of God all around us. We're the bringers of new life. You and I are the embodiment of, the embodiment of hope. The living example of the truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. said a few minutes ago that this section is one of the most hopeful passages in, in, in our scriptures. Do you see why? You were dead. You are alive. Invited to live this new life. Invited to show the world that the nonsense around us doesn't need to consume us. Be that hope. That is what we're called to do and be. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this word. Thank you for Paul, who's sitting in the midst of prison, writing words of hope to his friends, these friends he's agonizing over, encouraging them to stand, to live the new life. Lord, we need this word today. As antagonism takes over around us, as, as incidents continue to be reported to us day in and day out of negativity and rage and malicious behavior and words that are used to cut. Lord, you've invited us to infect this world with your new life. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and pour yourself out on everybody gathered in this room. Fill us this morning fresh and new with the hope of new life. Let us loose on a dead world, bringing your resurrected power wherever we go. Remind us, Lord, to daily connect with you. Remind us that we have this family that's sitting around us to encourage Equip and challenge when necessary. Use this morning to release us to be your church. Father, our hope is built on nothing less but you. Remind us of that this and every day we pray. We offer this prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.